Hey, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Regen. My name is Kyle, and uh, I get to be the pastor here, and I'm super excited to have you with us. Um, Today is a really fun Sunday in our life together where we're going to dedicate some babies and baptize some babies and baptize some adults and reaffirm some adults. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what all of those things mean, but I just want to start by saying, hey, I'm really glad you're here at Regen. Our mission is to interrupt people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus, uh, because all of us are more often than not kind of drifting on with what's going on in our story, and that's great, but sometimes we numb out and we lose a sense of what's most important. And Jesus, with love and grace, not anger, uh, not disappointment, busts into our stories and gets our attention, and our lives are changed. And so what you're witnessing today uh, is life change in people that is not because they saw a really good counselor or not because they started going keto, uh, although I I hear these are good things. Um, It's because the real and living Jesus Christ uh, of Nazareth, born and lived and died, suffered, rises again, all of these things to invite us and unite us to himself. And so... um, When we go outside, I want to say this with a mic in my hand. Um, I have a wedding ring. I've been married for six years. And uh, when I do weddings, when my wedding was done, I I hand people these rings and I say, um, this ring is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual reality. That's exactly what baptism is. It is an outward sign of an invisible, inward, spiritual reality. And on the one hand, we might say then, in the words of Beyonce, that in, bapti- in baptism, we discover that God liked it so much that he put a ring on it, okay? It is God going public with the fact that we belong to him. It is not us going public. Uh, this is a covenant and an, a relationship that Jesus initiates, that God the Father initiates through Jesus Christ. And so uh, it is not something that we do. It is not us going public. It is actually God going public with that. And so when we get outside, people are going to, we're going we're gonna to be outside for a while. So hopefully you did your SPF 50. Um, But uh, we'll go, in a few minutes, we'll go out to those doors. We're going to do something first. But um, when people come out of the water, this is what this is for. There it goes. So when people come out of the water, we're clapping, we're cheering, we're blowing this thing, because this is a celebration of new life, which is really cool. Hey, everyone. My name is Zach. I'm going to go ahead and do the the offering. If you guys just want to bow your heads and uh, pray with me before we do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Uh, Thank you for just being with us and showing up in a big way, um, transforming the hearts of those that have uh, given their hearts to you in um, a reaffirmed way and in a new way that they haven't haven't done before. So we just, we praise you for that and we love you more than we ever have for that today. Lord, you're just so gracious and um, it's, it's because of the miracles that you've done and the sacrifice that you've given us that we're here. Uh, it's the good works that you've planned for us long ago um, that we're so excited to take part in. So Lord, whatever it is that we uh, give up to you today and we lay down for you today, um, just let us know that it, it was that we're just taking part in this plan that you have for us. And it's not by our own um, it's not by our own methods and means that we do that. We're just joining you. We're excited to do that. So Lord, I just ask that you bless this offering today and just let us continue to take part in this this great world, this great kingdom that you're giving to us. Um, 
Bless this church. Bless this family that we're all a part of now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God, we come to you today and we offer ourselves to you. Uh, We offer you our lives. We offer you ourselves and we offer you um, all of the untruths that we carry around. And God, pray that you uh, would be the one who speaks truth clearly to that. And so God, in whatever way you can, would you get our attention today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Go ahead and have a seat. Um, If you took the plunge today, don't leave because I've got these certificates that say you did. So your grandchildren will want these. Um, uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 together. We're in a series called Stranger Things about Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we kind of Netflix binge books of the Bible or sections of the Bible all at once. And that's the one that we're doing right now. Uh, so we're in this, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, you can just Google it, whatever you want to do. A um, couple things. Hey, if you're a guest in the house, welcome. I know a lot of you are here to bear witness to your uh, loved ones getting wet, which is great. And uh, if uh, you want to just maybe start a relationship with us, we would like to start a relationship with you. On your way out this morning, there's a table. There's some cards that say, hey, if you fill that out, that gets you on our weekly email. Uh, and there's a gift for you back there. It's just a mug with some stuff in it. It's just our way of saying thanks for being here. We know it takes some courage to walk into a church, even if you know there are a lot of people in there that like you. So that's just our way of saying thanks. Um, and we would love to just get to know you and be friends. And one of the ways that we do that together is about once a month, we meet at somebody's house and we eat food. Um, as you can tell, I am not afraid of having three squares a day, and uh, so we aren't as a church either. So we'll be at the Bockers next week in Southington. Details are about that in your program. Bring some food with you. It's just a really good time to be together, and word on the street is they have a pretty great pool. So buckle down for that. All right, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And if you're in student circle, by the way, the students will be with us at the Bockers next week instead of at our house. So a lot of us were raised to talk about while a lot of us were raised to not talk about three things, money, religion, and politics. In polite company, our parents told us that this is not what people talk about, and yet the interesting thing about Jesus is that he is really unafraid to address all three of those things. And in his Sermon on the Mount, which is his foundational teaching of what it means to be a learner and follower of the way of Jesus, he seems to hit all three of those pretty aggressively, money, religion, and politics. The whole Sermon on the Mount we could call Jesus' manifesto for a whole new way to be human in the inbreaking reality of the kingdom of God. The whole Sermon on the Mount seems to hit all of these topics and more. Jesus does not shy away ever from what makes us uncomfortable or what we would rather keep private. Another way to look at Jesus' ministry, not only talking about politics and religion and money, Jesus also talked about another three things. He often talked about money, sex, and power. Money, sex, and power. And he did this because he was aware that these three things, money, sex, and power, could very quickly become spiritual strongholds that would bind us down even possibly for generations. And so as Jesus speaks about money today, yes, sorry, by the way, this is a sermon on money. I don't know where the planning was on that on my part. 
let's invite a whole bunch of new people to church and talk about money and confirm what they already believe about church, which is we only want your money. Um, Let me be clear about something. We don't want your money and we don't need your money. Jesus doesn't need your money. What Jesus wants is your heart. Uh, And as we get to a man's heart through his stomach, Jesus tends to get to our hearts through our wallets. But when Jesus speaks of money in this text, he does it with the desire to set us free. He does it knowing what the great scholar and philosopher Winnie the Pooh once said, which is that sometimes the smallest things take up the most room in our hearts. Sometimes the smallest things take up the most room in our hearts. It seems like Jesus and Pooh have been sharing notes because Jesus sees how money and possessions can so quickly overtake our hearts. And it's from that posture of declaring freedom that Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal, store for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, Jesus says, there the desires of your heart will also be. He says, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body, and when your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light, but when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness, and if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. In a handful of verses, Jesus is defining the relationship his disciples, his followers are going to have with money and possessions because, again, he knows that it is the smallest things like tablets and iPhones and Apple Watches and knickknacks and jingjangs from Hobby Lobby and TJ Maxx and new cars and new video games, and the next new thing, he knows how those things can push us to be living a life that Jesus does not design or desire. And so Jesus offers three rapid-fire teachings on money. He says, first, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. In less than 10 words, Jesus lays the manner bare. He says, if you want to know where your heart is, that is, if you want to know where your allegiance is, if you want to know where your loyalty lies, if you want to know what your truest passion is, regardless of what you say or think or how you act, if you want to know what is absolutely at your core, look at what you treasure. If we treasure stuff, our greatest loyalty will be made clear when we seek to accumulate it and more of it all the time. That's how we reveal where our heart is. That's how we reveal where our treasure is. And while we're on the topic, if we treasure comfort more than anything else, it will be made obvious in how we spend our money and how we spend our time on vacations and experiences and doctors, and it will be made clear in the way that we treat people who mess with our comfort. In the, peop- in the way we treat people who move our cheese. If we treasure intelligence and success, that will be made obvious in how we spend our time and our money on getting smarter and smarter and finding ways to be more successful. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he says with a warning, he says, don't store up for your treasures on, hev- on earth where moth and rust destroy and thief breaks in to steal. 
And I looked up, if you don't know, um, the New Testament is originally written in a Greek that we don't speak anymore, but it's written in Greek. And the word for don't store up treasure for yourself, that translates to don't store up treasure for yourself. It actually means stop. It actually means cease and desist. Jesus is not this flip out, hair, like windblown hair hippie that says, hey guys, you just might want to think about this. He's not a wimp. Jesus knows what's best for us and he says, stop it. And start storing up for yourself treasures uh, in heaven. And, and Paul, one of Jesus' early followers, says in 1 Timothy 6 what storing up treasure in heaven looks like. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be proud nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of what is truly life. If you want to store up treasures for yourself in heaven, Scripture says, be rich in good works, be generous, and be ready to share. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he goes on to say, in this next little teaching about eyes and lamps, something that is hard for us as moderns to understand, but that Jesus was speaking in a language they understood. So we know, let me be clear about this, Jesus is smart. You cannot, Dallas Willard says, confess Jesus is Lord without first confessing that Jesus is smart. So Jesus is not dumb when he says this because he's going to speak using a science that we have since disproved. He is simply speaking to a culture in a way that they would understand it while also knowing more. The Bible does this interesting thing where it never actually advances science. God, in revealing things, does not give a culture more information than they need to know at that point. We could dig into that later and nerd out. But, But watch what Jesus says. Jesus says, our eye is like a lamp. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body, and when your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Now, we know that I can see all of you uh, because uh, there is light in the room that bounces off objects and hits things in my eye called rods and cones, uh, and that I can thus see you. Jesus knows that too, he made rods and cones. However, to this culture who have known nothing of rods and cones, and imagine if they crucified him for saying, hey, you're really bad people, I think it would have gotten weirder if he'd be like, in your eye is this tiny little thing. It's called a rod, and he didn't need to deal with that. But what what the ancients believed is not that light was outside. They believed that light was found inside of us and came out through our eyes, and it was the collective light coming out of our eyes in a room that let us see things. It's kind of weird, right? But this is why Jesus says your eye is like a lamp, right? Because light emanates from a lamp. It doesn't go in. Uh, Sometimes when I'm reading this verse, I'm picturing, you know how Superman had like laser beam eyes? On a spiritual level, we do too, which is why Jesus says, if your eye is healthy, which could also be translated generous, Your whole body will be filled with light, but when your eye is unhealthy or greedy, your whole body is filled with darkness. Those Superman eyes that we have spiritually set and lock and laser focus on things and stuff, and when that happens, it does something to our internal world that clouds Jesus' voice in our life, which is why the Passion Translation does it this way. 
Uh, The eyes of your spirit allow revelation light to enter into your being. And if your heart is unclouded, the light floods in. But if your eyes, your Superman laser eyes, are focused on money, the light cannot penetrate that dark, and darkness takes its place. How profound the darkness within you if the light of truth cannot enter. Jesus is trying to get his disciples to stop craving after the Nintendo 64, eight-year-old Kyle, and get our eyes up off of something else, onto that which is eternal and always. If your eye is good or generous, then your whole body will be good. And then Jesus' final teaching speaks for itself. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. But boy, do we try. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus says, but we do our best to try to serve two or three or four or five. Jesus and my success, Jesus and my control, Jesus and my comfort, Jesus and the lifestyle I want to lead, Jesus and... Jesus points out our divided loyalties and says, ultimately, the end of having more than one master is that you begin to despise them. And if you serve both God and money, does anybody want to guess which master gets the hatred first? God. Because it's very easy to presume on the kindness of his forbearance, presume on his flexibility, assume that he'll make a little way and it won't happen quickly, but what will happen over time is exactly what Pooh said. When we serve two masters, the littlest things take up the most room in our heart and they push Jesus to the periphery. And if you're living in Trumbull County and you have any faith background in your life, you are this person. You are the person who assumes, hi, you're never going to come back, so I'll go ahead and just lay this out right now. You are the person that assumes that you and God are okay because God exists on the periphery of your life. And of course I'm a Christian person, and of course I'm a nice person, and when I'm in need, I pray, and and I really, when somebody posts something on Facebook that they're in need, I'll, I'll type back, hey, thoughts and prayers, that's great. That is not the way of Jesus at the center of your life. That is some weird Americanized version of the way of Jesus that is unrecognizable to him. What Jesus is calling us to is having him himself at the center that pushes the other junk to the periphery. And I'm not saying you can't have nice things. I'm not saying that Jesus hates rich people. Jesus is not a socialist. Scripture says that God gives us all good things to enjoy, which I assume means boats and sunsets and vacations and but it's about having things rightly ordered so imagine living this way imagine living a life that that Jesus is picturing it's interesting uh, in the the text of this Jesus isn't using his usual word when Jesus speaks to people he usually uses the word my first college roommate had y'all he was from Texas and I still say it uh He usually says y'all, but in these verses he says you because he is putting it on you, not on your spouse, not on your situation, not on your income. He is putting it on you to decide what faithfulness looks like in this as somebody who follows Jesus. So what might it look like to be someone who does not serve two masters? What would it look like for us to be this way? It would look like being radically generous. 
it would look like everything that we own being on the table for somebody else's need. It would be living overwhelmingly simply. It would be living with a few less decorations. It would be living with a nice car that's kind of old but still drives as opposed to always leasing the brand new one and running to the edge of your credit limit. It might mean being radically hospitable. One of the things uh, my wife Steph and I have made a commitment to in our marriage is inviting people to live in our home and we do it perfectly and without grumbling and without ever being annoyed with the people who live with us. Um, uh, one of our tenants, one of our friends just moved out. Sarah Gregory, I'm calling you out on the internet again. Um, and uh, her car was leaking some oil. And so now I have this like giant oil stain in my driveway, right? And I didn't think I cared about these things. And then there's the oil stain blinking me in the face every time I look out on my driveway and all of a sudden I care, right? And so I'm not a perfect example, I am surely a living example, okay? Uh, because when the dishes would show up mysteriously in the sink after all the dishes were clean, we knew where that was coming from. We love her to death. But there's challenges of sharing our space and our stuff with people. Uh, on the opposite of this, dear friends of ours, we served a church in, in Indiana. Indiana? No. Um, sorry, Dan and Dan's family. Wow. Kathy Collins is like, whoa. Okay. Um, uh, Illinois, uh, the, the far more expensive state immediately adjacent to Indiana um, and more corrupt. Uh, we were serving a church there, and every Sunday after church, we would um, go to lunch at a family's home, the Aniojos. And uh, one Sunday, Julie Antioho says to my wife, hey, when you get to the house, can you shred the chicken that's in the crock pot? Uh, so you've heard, some of you have heard me tell the story before. Shred the chicken, and then that way we're that much closer to dinner. Steph says, sure. So Steph, raised in South Dakota, farm girls, just going at this chicken. I mean, just, I mean, murdering this chicken in, in this pot. Scraping it apart with these forks. I love you. And, um, and uh, she realizes as she reaches the very end, that this is one of those new fancy crock pots and the pot is that Teflon line stuff. So you're only supposed to use like plastic so it doesn't scratch, scratch it up and scrape it up and make it sticky again. And Steph, my wife, is so conscientious. If she had known, she never would have. I mean, she would have been so careful. So Julie comes home and she's like, so I, and, and some of you are laughing because you know Steph is feeling sheepish if this is her hand gesture, okay? So I, and uh, Julie looks at this crockpot, which is brand new. This is the first time she's using this. Julie never buys new stuff. She'll like, she'll use the crockpot that caught the This Is Us family's house on fire <laughs> just because it seems dumb to buy a new one, you know? Um, she'd be like, oh, we can wipe it off. It'll be just like new is Julie's MO. So she buys this brand new thing and Steph's thinking, I ruined it. And Julie looks at her crockpot and she looks at my wife and she says, no eternal value. She says, it has no eternal value. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what we do with our stuff and our homes and our cars and our money ultimately reveals that. But the question becomes, how does Julie live that way? How do generous people actually kind of consistently live in this way that defies our expectations? And Jesus answers this question in verse 25. How does living this way work? And he says this in verse 25. 
This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to drink, enough clothes to wear, food and drink or clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon, the richest, most famous king, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown on the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So I tell you, do not worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but this is important. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. What I think is so interesting is Jesus is actually rather vague when he speaks of money, isn't he? He doesn't say, make sure you're given 10% to your church, make sure you're given X amount of dollars. Make sure. He leaves it very vague where he gets very specific and fastidious is when he starts to describe the character of the Father. He uses about twice as many words to talk about who God is than he does to tell us what to do with our money. This ought to clue us in onto something that's going on in Jesus' mind. What makes living this way possible is what Jesus says in verse 32. These things, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the minds of the unbelievers, the pagans, the hypocrites. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. What sets us free to make radically generous decisions, to walk free of the stronghold of money, to push out the small things in your heart and get Jesus his space, the, the thing that does that is this truth. Your heavenly father knows all your needs. If your car broke down, he knows about that. Uh, if, your, if your loans are due, he knows about that. If you, have some, if you need food on your table, he knows about that. Listen to me, what is at stake? What is at stake in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount? What is at stake is not how you and I spend our money, not how much debt we're in, not how much money you should be given to the church. What is at stake here is the very character of God. What you believe about who God is is absolutely 99.5% of the ballgame of following Jesus. And it is the constant constant attention to making sure that these lies do not slip in. Because if we are not generous, if we are not radically hospitable, it is not because, and if we are stingy, and if we are greedy, and if we are stubborn, it is not because we're stingy or greedy or stubborn. It is because at our core, we believe a lie about who God is. At our core, we believe a lie about who God is. And if our Superman laser eyes are focused on stuff and not on kingdom, it is, it is about a fundamental lie about who God is. And Jesus gets so specific and slows down the action on the play in Matthew 6, not to get your money out of your wallet, not to make you more generous, but to set you free from the idea that God, your father, doesn't have as his top priority your provision, your care, and your needs. Not your wants, but your needs. And we can speak at length about the difference of wants 
and needs. Or we can look at this, and what Jesus says to set us free is, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today is enough trouble for today. Today is enough trouble for today. I mean, like my Thursday from about 10 to 4 was enough for my Thursday from 10 to 4. Do you know what I'm saying? Much less like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we live in this anxiety and this worry and this gaming out of circumstances. And those of us who are very security-oriented don't know how to interact with our money in any other way because it's our security blanket. And what Jesus says is we don't need those things. Jesus is offering us a manifesto on a new way to be human. And the new way to be human is not seeking after wealth or seeking after comfort, but aligning our resources behind him and his kingdom and watching him care for us. We've had a lot of medical bills over the last couple of years. And every time, the the new MO in our house is like another one comes and it's kind of like, all right, Jesus, it's your money. Have fun. Like, I guess... That blood draw company needed, yes, another $900. Great. I'm not saying you don't advocate for yourself, but at the end of the day, our core conviction is that our money is not our own. That's the core conviction of the people of Jesus. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you, I've been trying to think about that every time I preach. What am I asking people to do? Um, I'm asking you to make a decision. I'm not asking you to make a decision about giving. I'm not asking you to make a decision about what you do with your money necessarily. What I'm asking you to do is make a decision about what you believe who the, what you believe God is like. I'm asking you to make a decision about who you believe the Father to be. This is why the message translation of Matthew 6 is so interesting to me. Um, it, it, it frames it in decision language. It says, if you decide for God living a life of God worship. It follows that you won't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There are far, there's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach. I'm really hungry. It's like lunchtime and I'm like, but it feels like what I put in my stomach is a lot of my life. Plus it's like Trumbull County. Like what else is there to do around here but eat? You know what I mean? Um, There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to God than birds. Here's the decision I'm asking you to make. Will you decide for God? Will you decide to be careless in the care of God because you count far more to him than birds? Because if you make that decision, when you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all of the other things happen, all of the other things. It's about whether or not we're willing to entrust ourselves into the hands of a father to whom we count more than birds. Now, the trick is, by the way, plot twist, you make that decision once and you have to keep making it every day after because we're fickle that way. But you'll find slowly but surely the grip of money and materialism and anxiety release. You'll feel that grip release as the small things in your heart move to the periphery. And Jesus takes up more at the center. Let's pray. Jesus, we so often settle for the small stuff, and you're inviting us to something bigger and greater. And so, Jesus, we invite you to uh, have a rummage sale in our hearts, to have a yard sale in our hearts, 
to set out for sale uh, things that we're holding on to that are awfully small but take up an awful lot of room and that you would replace them with the simple gospel of yourself. God, some of us just need to make the decision again to entrust ourselves to you. Some of us feel a little burnt because we've trusted you before and you didn't show up. So God, give us the insane courage to follow you again and to say yes to your kingdom, trusting that uh, you know our needs and have the desire to provide for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. At Regen, um, we practice, uh, we engage in receiving communion every week. Um, because when we come to this table, we're, we're really reminded about the small things that have taken up residence in our heart. And so um, the way we do that is really simple. I'll pray and some folks will be up here. We'll rip off a pre- piece of the bread. You'll dip it in the cup as if it were a nacho. And you'll, as, you, as we like to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. And here's the thing. A lot of us in this moment turn inward and say, am I worthy? I don't know. God and I haven't talked in a long time, these kinds of things. Here's the invitation from Jesus. If you have a pulse, you are welcome to his table. Because it is not the table that belongs to Regen. It is the table that belongs to the Jesus who gave himself up for the world. And if we waited until our ducks were in a row to come to the table and to come to Jesus, it never happened. And so Jesus meets us in the mess and he meets us with a meal. Uh, Because on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and he offered it to his disciples and he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Later on in the supper, he took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new arrangement. It's written in ink of my blood and it's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are remind, reminded of the story that is of most true and that is most real. And so um, Dan, the intern, um, and Jenna, and Steph, would you come? Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup that they might become for us. Uh, the body and blood of Christ, and that in the eating and drinking of them, we might be renewed in our love and affection for you. This we pray in the name of Jesus, who is our treasure. Amen. The table is open. Uh, This was your first Sunday with us. Thanks for giving us part of your Sunday. Um, For those of you that uh, I see every week, I I just love the snot out of you. I do. And uh, we'll see you uh, next week. Peace.